trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Fo Aduni. Fo is a natural hair and lifestyle influencer woman's and gender studies PhD candidate and undergraduate instructor. Her pronouns are she, her, hers. Hello. Hi. Thank I'm so you. excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, when Victor told me that I had to sit down with you for the podcast, I was like, absolutely, whatever, whatever you want. Because <laughs> you know, Victor is typically the quiet one. So I'm like, whenever he gives me a suggestion, I feel like I should listen. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm super excited. I know today's topic, we are going to be talking about hair. And I feel like as a Black woman, there's just so much that goes into this topic. I know um, I talked to my friend Brianna a couple months ago now um, about hair, but I was interested in hearing it about it from your experience. I know that's like kind of where you are getting a lot of your momentum talking about hair and the importance of it in the Black community. So I'm really excited to, to just jump in today. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited too. Um, and I guess, you know, um, to give a little bit of background about me, I uh, just recently started on YouTube. So I'm, I'm a new YouTuber. Um, I have a small following, about 3,000 people right now. Um, so that's been a wonderful experience, but I've been natural for over a decade. Oh, wow. Um, I went, yeah, I went natural the first time in middle school, which was what, uh, 2004 or something like that. And then I went natural again because peer pressure, I got a <laughs> relaxer when I got to high school. Um, I went natural again, uh, my 11th grade year in high school. So I've uh, been natural for over a decade and uh, it's been amazing, but I've learned a lot this go around. I did another big chop in 2020. So there's a lot of great things that I learned in terms of cultural aspects when it comes to natural hair. And then also I've gotten fired up to be more of an activist when it comes to uh, natural hair, when it comes to black beauty. And that's not to say that everybody has to be an activist because we should be able to just wear our hair and do what we want. But there are some... Um, activist efforts that unfortunately are required so we can be respected and allowed to wear our hair as we please as black people so Whew, there's so much I can't wait to talk to you about um <laughs> I first went natural in 2014 I was 24 and just like buzzed it just chopped everything off I got so sick of it um and I think one of the biggest things for me was my cousin Avery were three years apart. She went natural first. And I remember how 
much of a visceral reaction my family had because she had like quote pretty hair like very long um she took really good care of it very strong but she was like I she hated that there was so much onus on her hair looking this way so she chopped it all off and so when I did the same it was very liberating and very freeing and then you know for the last like oh my gosh 2014 to now six seven years um just being natural and getting braids having fro like figuring out what works and doesn't work the frustration around my hair but still loving it at the same time and um so I, I feel you too I just did a big chop again at the end of 2020 um right before Christmas I'm like let's just start over again um but I too feel that deeply and I mean we see this all the time in the news of right now at the Olympics like black women not being able to wear the swim caps that would literally be made for our hair and um all all the legislation that is fighting right now with the crown act which i know you and i are going to talk about but that's a big thing too of having discussions with people where i grew up and i grew up in a pretty diverse place but having shared things on social media and this one white woman i went to high school with she commented and the post was about um how people black people will get fired for their hair like it is statistically proven there is fact and um accounts of this and she's like that doesn't happen i'm like there's a whole article that i just shared and i am telling you that like i've experienced this as a black woman like my hair is seen as quote unprofessional or what have you so yeah i'm, I'm really excited to chat about this today yeah it's almost like you know no matter how much evidence you have some people they want to stay within their privilege bubble mm -hmm. um they just, it's it's like you know they'll have a complete melt, meltdown if they acknowledge that 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 discrimination is uh, taking place. So <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, staying staying in their ignorance to so they don't have to talk about it, right? And and I think it's also how, for example, like when black people have locks and then white people get dreadlocks, and that conversation too of like it's seen as edgy or it's seen as, you know, a fun hairstyle to have. But when black people have it, it is seen as like dirty and all these different things. And so they're also to deal with that, like the cultural appropriation of black hair. And we see this a lot with like white women having braids when they go on vacation and having like boxer braids and doing all these things that, you know, the hairstyles that black people have one have historical importance to us. And, you know, we see this a lot in, in the history of slavery of black women having braids that matched either where they grew up or like the the fields that they were working in or um, uh, culturally like where they came from from Africa so I think it's like you're saying it's also all of that and I could ramble about hair all day so <laughs> I mean I mean a point to what you were just saying I think that what people don't understand is it's a gift it's a gift and it's a wonderful thing when you are invited to enjoy other people's culture mm -hmm. um and I remember having this conversation with a white woman at uh, UNT, the University of North Texas. And she was like, you know, I don't understand what the big deal is about, about the braids. She said, I used to be on the basketball team and the black women on the team would braid my hair. And, you know, she was like, so I don't see what's the big deal of me wearing it whenever I want to. And I'm like, oh, you just missed the entire you just missed something so wonderful and so beautiful. Those mm -hmm. black women on your team, they felt close enough to you. And they felt like you all had developed some sort of kinship to where they felt comfortable braiding your hair. You were being mm -hmm. invited to take in that moment of black culture. Um, but you're looking at things as a white woman and you're saying to yourself, well, I should just be able to do whatever I want. And I'm like, wait a minute now. <laughs> there is so much richness and so much 
friendship and acceptance of differences that come from that kinship of when you're invited into someone else's culture. So that was just, uh, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> but I don't know where you wanted to start first. Did you want to start um, talking about the Crown Act first or where did you want to start? Let's, I think let's start with, with the Crown Act. I think it'll feed a lot into history and what has gotten us here. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, with the Crown Act, and I'm gonna be looking over at my notes. Um, so the Crown Act or creating a respectful and open world for natural hair, uh, it's a law that uh, people are working to pass. Um, and I'm gonna read a quote directly from the crownact.com. So with the law, it pro prohibits race-based hair discrimination, which is uh, the denial of employment and educational opportunities because of hair texture, or protective hairstyles, including braids, locks, twists, or bantu knots. So that's what the Crown Act is. And this law, I know that it's been passed in, I, I wanna say about 12 or 13 states, um, but it hasn't been passed in every state and it hasn't been passed on a federal level. And you know, it's a shame that it's a necessity for us to have a law for us to be able to, as black people, to wear our hair in styles that um, suit our culture, but also suit our needs. It's a shame that we need a law in order to wear those styles and not be discriminated against or turned away from jobs or turned away from schools. But it's unfortunate, but it's a necessity. It's still a necessity because in many places that have been impacted by white supremacy, whiteness is the standard. So the look of white hair uh, or what, what, what the look of white hair is believed to need to be straight or wavy or silky or flowy. Um, these are expectations that are being put onto Black people. And for a lot of us, um, our hair differs from those expectations of straight and a certain type of wavy and a certain type of silky. So, you know, it's unfair that we've been, we're being discriminated against for the hair as it comes out of our head and how we see fit to keep it groomed. So, yeah, I'd like a law just to exist. And it is so wild to think about. And like you're saying, like the, the standard of beauty is whiteness and, and that in hair is like straightness and, and being, I guess, malleable, like black hair can be very stubborn, <laughs> um, but also very beautiful. I don't want to say that it's not, but I think it's that too of like the more free black people become the more that challenges whiteness and I feel like so many people and now like with hair specifically like there are so many people who are becoming I won't say woke becoming more aware of their privileges even people of color like I, I talk about this a lot of the time of like I grew up in a very pro-black family I grew up in a very privileged place and you know my parents my mama my mother got me perms um and I you know as I've gotten older and been able to decide what to do with my hair and, you know, see folks now who still get perms or po folks who are natural, like even that conversation, just being able to decide what our hair can look like. But I think a lot of black people now are realizing that their hair is their choice and it's not through the white lens. Like I think a lot of the time back, you know, during like the civil rights movement and before having that hair and like you're saying made you hireable, like that was the only way you could get a job is if you assimilated. Um, and so I think there's, there's also that level of it too, of like, having that conversation in the natural hair community of like understanding that we will decide to have natural hair and there'll be black women who decide not to and it doesn't make them any less black or any less worthy but I think it's also that like we we as a as a community and as a culture black people have to stop perpetuating that 
era of white supremacy into our groups as well. Yes, yes, the internalized uh, racism or internalized, you know, discrimination amongst ourselves, it, it can be real, it can be so real. And I like what you said about basically people, black people being able to rock their hair the way they want to. Um, it's not that we should be limited to, as black people, it's not that we should be limited to natural hair in order to show some sort of authenticity, in order to show that we are proud of our blackness. It's not that we should be limited to natural hair. I think that the thing with many of us is that we just need to understand enough about our history or enough about ourselves to where we like ourselves, we love ourselves, and we make judgments for our hair not based on a white standard. So if you want to relax, go ahead and get your relaxable. <laughs> as long as as long as it's based on, you know, you. Like I, I like myself, but this is how I want to show up. Because mm -hmm. I think, I think um, Oh, Soul Food, um, Lim from Soul Food. Was it Lim? Bird. It was Bird who had that short, that short haircut. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Um, so I love a good short relaxed haircut. Um, but I, I'm also aware of the possibility that relaxers could be harmful to some people's health. So those there are there are some of those conversations. But I've also heard some people say that you know that's not necessarily true so i'm not 100 percent sure about that i'm not a scientist but i feel like black women should be able to do whatever they want with their hair and you know what's crazy even within natural hair there are these ideas of what hairstyling is more authentic what hairstyling is more authentically black so this time around with my uh natural hair journey uh since this big chop in 2020 I have been do solely doing wash and goes. So that's so, you know, solely where you define your curls. Uh, you use a gel and a mousse maybe, and you define your curls. So I've solely been doing wash and goes and I've been getting curly cuts. And something that I've noticed with wearing more defined curls uh, since I've learned how to do it is that it makes some black people very uncomfortable to see my hair in a defined state and to see my hair with a bit of sheen or what they see a shine to it, it makes some of them uncomfortable. They feel like, um, I was on a live stream the other day and one person, they were like, well, you're chasing curls. And it's, it's this discomfort with seeing black hair in a uniform, more uniform curly state, um, as if it's trying to cater to a Eurocentric beauty standard. I do think that there are some people out there that are really pressed for having defined curly hair um, in order to live up to a white standard, but I also, I don't want us to cheat ourselves out of the diversity of blackness. Um, there are black people that have curly hair and it's not because of this admixture of whiteness. Um, and I say that coming from my Nigerian background. I'm Nigerian and I'm also African-American, um, but from what I've seen uh, among some Nigerians, I've seen all sorts of different hair textures, such genetic diversity because African, African people, Africa's huge continent, but also if we just limit it down to West Africa, uh, the genetic uh, diversity is insane. So there are people there that have no white lineage to their knowledge that have silky hair, that have wavy hair, that have tight waves, that have tight coils, that have shiny hair, that have shiny tight coils, that have uh, coils that don't have a lot of shine, that are more matte, that have loose curls that are more matte. So it's just like all this variation among us and so um, it's saddening when people are like, you know, well, that particular style is you just trying to adhere to whiteness. And this style over here, like for example, um, an Afro, if I was to just leave a light cream on my hair and just 
let it, you know, dry, it would be an Afro. Uh, a lot of people might see that as more authentically black. And I'm like, no, 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 mm-hmm. we shouldn't give whiteness that much credit. We shouldn't give whiteness that much credit. We can have these traits regardless of whiteness. Uh, so, and white people don't own defined curls. <laughs> Or sheen or shiny hair. I mean, you know, white people, white people don't own those those characteristics and they didn't originate defining curls and things like that. When you look at some of the practices, and I know I'm just talking to it, I can talk all day. When you look at some of the practices among some of these um uh uh tribes in different parts of Africa that haven't been impacted in the same ways as many of us by colonialism, some of them are defining their curls, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> So some people are doing braids. Some people are doing gravity-defined hairstyles. Some people are doing low cuts in these different tribes. And then there are some people that are defining their curls. So defining defined curls shouldn't be only associated with whiteness. So hmm. there's that. There's so much there. I I am the per, I am a person who is blessed with many a hair texture in my hair. Like I have very tight curls, like towards the back, and then like the weird middle is like very loose. And it's very annoying when I'm trying to like do a wash and go because it's like way more time. Um, but I also, the amount, like the amount of time to do my hair, which is why I also cut it um, and the dedication to it, right? Like all my friends are always like, you have such strong arms. I go, it's because I have to do my hair. Like it's, oh, you know, no. it's, it's just all, it's like detangling, deep conditioning, doing a twist out, all these different things that go into it. So yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing. I like the diversity of hair and it could just be in your own head. Like there's just so many, so many different things that go into it. And then like you said, the diversity of of hair. Like when I had a bigger, when I was, my, when my natural hair was longer, I would stretch it, but with no heat. And so I, I'm very big on no heat at all. Um, and so I would stretch it like either with like hair ties or bobby pins or what have you. Um, and having that conversation with folks of like, your hair looks longer today versus it looks shorter the other day when you wash. I'm like, that is called shrinkage. And when my own water enters my hair, it absorbs it and it just gets really tight, small curls. And so as a black woman, I am magic in the fact that my hair will has the capacity to look very different, um, to look very defined this day, to look shorter this day, to be able to put braids in it, to just, just really... I read something on the internet that was like being black is such a flex. I'm like, yes, it really is like to be able to do so many things and and to have people who culturally understand you, right? Like you can go, I don't know if you're familiar with the Instagram called embracing black culture, but it's my favorite thing. And it's just like all these different things on Instagram, like their little posts and videos and things. And it is interesting to watch something that as a black person, culturally, you just understand, right? Like there's just all these different things that go into it. And I think hair is the same way. Like I can go and talk to you about like, your hair is beautiful today. I'm loving this texture. And you will just like, it'll just be an inherent conversation for us to have too. So it's like the cultural connection of hair. Yes, yes. That, that cultural connection is everything, is everything. And there was something that I wanted to touch on that you mentioned. I guess I should have been taking notes, but I do <laughs> want to say this. You mentioned how long your hair is taking. So um, there are stylists that are coming out with information now, um, such as Black Girl Curls, such as Hydrobarcelon. I learned a lot largely from Black Girl Curls, but also some things from Hydrobarcelon. But these stylists have come out with virtual education now, simplifying um, the natural hair wash day. Um, so they've simplified the natural hair wash, wash day and I, I 
love them so much. Um, I can speak largely on Black Girl Curls in terms of how they're educating other people. They don't just educate Black people. They educate people of different races about how to care for tight curls, how to style tight curls. Um, they have a directory of stylists. And it's just amazing because it shouldn't be only Black people that understand mm. Black hair. You know how people were asking you, so how does this work? How does that work? How does this work? And it's crazy because when it comes to white people, we're not white, but we understand a lot about white hair. Mm -hmm. And that's because of how they've been centered. That's, that's how, how they've been centered in media, how they've been centered in books we read, even books we might've read when we were a child. The way that they've been centered and their hair has been centered um, is just a part of that whole, it's a cog in the whole machine of white supremacy. So I love that Black Girl Curls is educating people of different races as well as black people on how to care for tight curls. And, you know, their intention might not be overtly activist, but it is activist because it's letting people know that this is, that the tight curl client, typically black hair is important. Our hair is beautiful. Our hair is worth working with. And, you know, what's crazy is that as I learned from black girl curls specifically about simplifying um, uh, natural hair care, I learned about all different types of hair. So knowing about Black hair can teach you about all other types of hair. All I have to do, so I worked at Sally Beauty for a while. And so I got some basic Cosmo education there. But learning from Black Girl Curls, I was able to take what I learned from them and just switch it up just a tad bit, depending on the person's hair texture and, you know, a, a texture that might be more popular among uh, that race of people. So, for example, it can be a, a white person that can come in. And, you know, they haven't explained any issues with their hair and stuff like that. And I've already learned from Black Girl Curls the importance of making sure the hair is clean, making sure the hair doesn't have a lot of buildup, making sure this, making sure that. And so I just tweak for them. I say, okay, so how many times they're washing their hair? So that means they can use this shampoo, they can use this conditioner, and oh, they don't need as much conditioner, they just need to apply it from mid-lengths to ends and all that different information. But I learned all these different things about caring for my hair and it taught me about other people's hair. And it's crazy because when you're learning about white hair or hair that's more popular among white people, it may not be the same exact way mm -hmm. where you're learning about their hair, but you can't branch that over into other hair types in the same way. So it's amazing to me that when you learn about textured hair, when you uplift textured hair and you center textured hair, you learn about so many other things when it comes to other hair textures. So instead of our hair being treated as, as, as if it's alien, it, it's almost like our hair can be some sort of starting point. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what's crazy? I had a stylist say to me that the majority of people have textured hair. She said the majority of people have textured hair. It's just that what a lot of people are doing, they're beating, no matter their race, they're beating their hair into submission they're flat ironing that hair into submission to get rid of that texture. So it's just crazy that the majority of people have textured hair, but we're more so catering towards a specific type of hair texture um, that's not what the majority of people have. So I commend stylists that are doing those, what they may not see as overtly activist efforts, but these are activist efforts as they're going out and they're educating people globally and also starting uh, virtual education for consumers like Black Girl Curls. So I just, I, I, they're amazing. It's, the information is amazing. You got to get in there because uh, you're not going to be washing all day no more. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or that wash and go, you're like, oh, this is all I had to do. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's, there are some learning curves associated with it based on your standards. But, you know, it's, it simplifies everything. No deep conditioning every week. 
Mm-mm. None of it. Life has changed forever now, people. Um, and yeah, and like like you're saying, I I love Gabrielle Union. She's like my favorite actress in the whole world. Um, and I read her memoir, and she at one point talked about how she always had to show up on set with her hair already done because there was no one there who knew how to do her hair. And that is still happening in some circles now. Like there are are stylists who don't know. So like you're saying, if people like what, if, if we have black hair as the default, you will be prepared, right? Like if you can handle textured hair and going from our hair to hair that isn't as textured, you will be fine, right? Like you're, like you're saying, it will just open so many more doors for you. That, that just blew my mind completely. Cause it's like, yeah, it's a thing you would never, it's a it, like to center black people or our hair alone would just change so many things for everyone. Yeah. So, you know, just, and, and and if you center that textured hair, it's, it's not that, you know, necessarily might just be okay if you know about textured hair, but it's like, you know, so much more, you'll have so much more in your toolbox to work with. So, um, and you mentioned Gabrielle Union, and you know, what's crazy is a lot of people would look at Gabrielle Union's hair and they would say, oh, that's so easy. A lot of, so there would be some black people that would look at Gabrielle Union's hair and her texture, or even Tia and Tamara, they have mm-hmm. uh, said the same thing about people not knowing how to do their hair on set. Um, There are Black people that would say, oh, that hair is so easy to work with. What people have to keep in mind is context, Mm -hmm. is context. Context is so important. In in our efforts to decolonize our minds and to think more positively about Black hair as a whole, we have to realize that based on the context, even if somebody has a looser hair texture than your own, their hair texture might be considered subpar. It's almost like, it's almost like among Hmm, how do I say this the, the best way? It's almost like when it's convenient to some people, hold up my hand, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When it's, when it's convenient to some people, that's when they'll say, oh, I identify with your looser hair and your silkier hair, it looks better to me. Hmm. But when, it's, when it doesn't suit them, they'll say, I don't like your hair. It can, it can be a person who's mixed race. They have some African ancestry and they're in a predominantly white environment. They might have this looser, silkier hair. And, you know, but still they'll be looked at as, oh gosh, your hair is so nappy or they might be bullied or whatever else because it's convenient for them in that manner to disassociate themselves from that person in order to make themselves seem better. So um, there's that, but I'm not, I'm not, not acknowledging that Darker skinned women in particular with the kinkiest, was considered the kinkiest hair with teeny, teeny, tiny coils are the most marginalized when it comes to how hair is viewed. They are the most marginalized. Um, so I'm not, I'm not moving away from that. Um, and at the same time, I'm considering how in different contexts, people that might be seen as privileged when it comes to black hair, they're still mistreated uh, like Atia and Tamara like the Gabrielle Union, they might still be mistreated and their needs not met uh, in certain circumstances where people are centering whiteness. So I think that's important to consider when it comes to our activist efforts for uh, Black hair. Yeah, and as we talk about activism, I think that'd be a good time to to scooch into the soul swim caps because watching these women go to battle for a thing that is just it is essentially like wearing gym shorts or, you know, any other sort of sporting, like having a racket for his Venus and Serena, like it is a piece of equipment that they need. And 
I was watching something last night about a black girl who was like, I didn't know swim caps were for to make people more aerodynamic because as a black girl, she was raised that your the swim cap is to keep your hair dry. And so the, even that perspective, because I mean, I grew up in a place where there was com- competitive swimming, but it was just such an interesting perspective to hear of like, she didn't even know that. And so I think that's a really important thing to, to discuss of like how people now specifically with the Olympics happening have to literally be like hair activists to be heard and understood and, and given the same sort of respect that their counterparts have. Yeah, and so I was just looking at my notes, and I want to say this. So specifically, it's the International Swimming uh, Federation. They express that uh, the sole caps, uh, which are caps that are often designed for more voluminous hair textures, such as black hair. Uh, The International Swimming uh, Federation expressed that to their best knowledge, the athletes competing at the international events never use, neither require caps of such size and configuration. And that quote came from The Guardian. And it's just like, you know, you're saying that they don't, nobody needs caps of such size and configuration. It's almost like uh, uh, Black athletes are invisible in the sport. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, oh, <laughs> nobody needs that. You just call them nobody. They exist. <laughs> they exist. They're there. And they're doing amazing things uh, in the Olympics when it comes to uh, swimming. So, I mean, I know that ban is being looked at for those caps. They're, they're reevaluating that ban. But I mean, it's just foolishness to where you don't even consider that hair like yours is not the only hair that exists. <laughs> it's not the only hair that exists. So that is just so, Yeah. I mean, white supremacy, even in things that seem very mundane, like, you know, like swim caps, white supremacy showing up again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we see this right now. A lot of the, I think every four years we just see black women dominate the Olympics. Like we just keep coming out in droves, right? Like we had Gabby Douglas and Simone. Now we have um, Shikari. Then we had, you know, all these black women who are doing all these great things. And then it's, and then for this to happen is once again saying like black women specifically, we're just there for entertainment. We are not full humans. Um, And so we saw us with like Simone and um, oh my gosh, the tennis player, I can't think of her name right now who stepped Naomi in. Osaka yes thank you um who both were like hey we're not we're not playing this anymore like our mental health is more important than us performing for you um so it's even that too of like you're one you're telling us that we are invisible we, we don't we're not we don't need this thing because no one needs this thing so essentially we're no one number one and then we decide to walk away and advocate for we sorry we decide to advocate for ourselves and it's like how dare you like just show up don't be don't talk just be seen and then do what you need to have to do and leave and I think about that too like you've said with natural hair it's like it this is a thing for us and that circles back to like you, you don't we're not looking when we start in this natural hair journey it's not for anybody's validation but our own and so I think about that too like the activism around your hair of like owning it again finding finding what works for you again um we see this we, I remember back when they had that young man cut off his dreads during a wrestling match and how my heart broke. And I, and I think if you were a, a, if you were a black person and you watched it, you, it was once again, like our body autonomy being taken from us again to appease the white gaze, right? Like it was just, it, 
thinking about it now, I could cry. Like it was just such a horrific and visceral thing for me to see of like, once again, we were, we were expected to show up, do what we're meant to do and leave. Like we are robots. Like we are once again, just, just property at this point. Um, so that, I think about that too, all the time with, with athletes specifically who are asked to show up and do a thing and then like disappear again. Yeah. And you know, also, you know, just, just the amount of cultural ignorance for that uh, I think it was a referee to cut the to cut the young man's locks. The amount of ignorance because well, a lot of people locks have a spiritual significance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're cutting off uh, an extension of them, a greater spiritual extension of them. Um, and so that that's just and then the amount of years that it, it might have taken him to grow uh, those locks, the amount of years and the ups and downs that he went through with learning how to care for the hair, and then in a moment. Uh, whiteness comes in and just decides to just cut it down so I mean wow and you know uh, the situation with him with the locks was actually mentioned in the crown act so I mean I just find it really really important for as many people as possible and they don't even have to be located in the United States for as many people as possible to make sure that they go ahead and sign that petition for the crown act so that it's more likely to be something that is uh, passed at a federal level and more states get on board to pass it um, at the state level. And I know that there's even a Crown Act UK that is supposed to be out now. So there's a Crown Act UK that's supposed to be out. So, I mean, as many people as possible, they need to get behind that, um, that Crown Act. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, the times that we're living in to where even in what seems to be the most mundane things like sports, we're having to advocate for ourselves. Black people are having to advocate against being discriminated against for our hair. And so I guess, you know, this might be a good uh, part for me to kind of segue into what what's so, what's my role? What do I feel like is my role as an activist? I was just thinking that, yeah, personally, as a beauty culturalist and activist of Black beauty hair. Beauty culturalist, <laughs> yes. So, please, please coin that, put that on a shirt because I need it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I so beauty culturalist actually got that from Madam C.J. Walker. So mm-hmm. Madam C.J. Walker did not like being called, I believe, a beautician. She didn't like being called a beautician or a hairstylist. I don't think that, I don't think she liked either one of those. And um, I'm referencing uh, Tiffany M. Gill's book, Beauty Shop Politics right now, uh, very rich text. So Madam T.J. Walker, she took on that term beauty culturalist to show uh, the esteem of the black women and the black people that were participating in it. They were, there were black women who were uh, creating scientific innovation when it came to hair care or different machinery that they were using for hair care. They were, they were business savvy. Um, they were going door to door, but they, were, they had this pattern for how they were going door to door. They had strategic advertisements. Um, Madam T.J. Walker in particular was a mogul. Um, she did, some people say inspire, but it looks, it, by today's standards, it would be quite uh, considered ethical. The way she took from Annie Malone, who came, who are, who came before her, Annie Malone, uh, with the original beautiful hair grower. Um, but the Madam C.J. Walker is just so much to what she was doing when it came to hair. It was a true activist effort, uh, the things that she was doing with hair. And then also because people considered hair such a frivolous thing, um, she was able to fund a lot of activism. And so were a lot of other beauty culturalists. They were able to fund a lot of activism and even encourage people to vote while they were under the dryer. So be like, oh, 
uh, have you voted? Have you uh, registered to vote? Running people down to go register to vote. Or one stylist, I can't remember her name at the moment, was bold enough to tell people to send their info for the, for the, uh, from the NAACP, this is the early 1900s, send their info from the NAACP to her shop because nobody was paying attention to her because she's supposed to be all, oh, that's just a hairstylist, that's just a beautician, they're not doing anything over there, they're just over there gossiping. But you know, these women and some, even some of the barbers, they were, uh, whether they're male or female, um, these people, they were really taking on activism when it came to, they were, the way that they were doing things, it was just, it was simply amazing. So that's why I proudly, you know, have taken on the term of beauty culturalist. So there's that. Um, but my position in particular, so I'm on YouTube. Um, I'm on, I've just gotten on TikTok. Ooh. Be with Lord, be with me. This TikTok. My, is, my prayers go out to you. I can't. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think. I don't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not that old. I'm only 29, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm cut out for TikTok. So I've just gotten on TikTok, and then I'm on Instagram. And you know, my position on there is to really. I'm starting to move towards more of a sociological aspect of things, where I'm looking at the history of black hair. I'm looking at ways that we can uplift ourselves when it comes to black hair uh, from an academic perspective, when it comes to legalities and all these different things. And I try to implement that into what I teach in the classroom. So I teach gender and social change. And, you know, it's uh, getting ready to be August tomorrow. I teach gender and social change. And when the school year starts, we're going to have a cultural immersion. That's going to be this year's I mean, uh, this semester syllabus, cultural immersion, where they're gonna learn a lot about black hair. And what they won't realize is going on is that uh, it's gonna be a decentering of whiteness for a lot of them. Mm. It's gonna be a decentering of whiteness uh, through what a lot of people will find to be unassuming conversations about hair. They're gonna have to think about somebody else besides white people. And also think about their own culture. I encourage them to think about their own culture, of course, but, um, I'm excited about being an activist in that way where people will stop the questions like, why is your hair longer today and shorter tomorrow? And why is your... No, they'll stop those questions uh, when they come from my class, hopefully, and instead have some base knowledge about somebody's hair other than their own, uh, but also know that they can use Google. Google is their friend and it's not, it's not a black person's responsibility to educate them about their humanity. So um, <laughs> there's that, uh, me being an activist in that way. So, I mean, I also have my dissertation, which I'm still in the beginning stages of. I'm a, I'm a pretty new candidate, so I, I, I've just started with the dissertation, but by the time this comes out, I, I'm sure I'll be further along. Um, but in my dissertation, Matters of the Heart and the Hair, um, the salon, Matters of the Heart and the Hair, I'm really going to be collecting Black women's stories when it comes to um, those conversations that they have about sexuality in the salon. Um, but also those conversations that they have about their hair. So in terms of the conversations that they have about the hair, I'm going to collect the stories and figure out what are the issues that they're saying uh, are going on with hair currently. What are the financial issues? What are the practical issues? And also what are the sociological issues? And then what do they believe are the solutions? So I hope to use my dissertation um, as, an, as a way to amplify Black women of different backgrounds, their voices in terms of what do they believe are the solutions to the issue when it comes to um, them being able to wear their hair how they please currently and move about in society. So 
there's that. <laughs> Let me know if you have any questions about anything. No, I'm so excited for this. Um, the older I get, I just turned 31. So I'm getting older and thinking about having kids. And today I was thinking of, you know, if I have a daughter or a child that inter- identifies as being female and the hair journey we will go on together. Like I already started thinking about these sort of things. And so to know that you are out there and that other people <laughs> are doing this work for young black girls and black women now who are starting on this journey is very exciting. And I think it's a it's a thing that we all need. I don't think we we talk about it a lot. Like I feel like as a black woman, it's kind of like you should know how to do your hair. And it's like, I should, but like if you aren't taught or you don't see it, like it's a very difficult thing. And like you were saying before, there's there's folks who are doing this work now. Um, but I think about like the mixed kids whose parents are going to watch that and be able to do their hair now. So I'm excited. And I also, I'm jealous. I wish I had like an immersive, like an immersive <laughs> class on black hair when I was in college. I feel like that would have been so fun. Um, but yeah, I will be sure to link all your stuff in the show notes. Um, I thank you so much for coming on. Um, at the end of each episode, I like to ask my guests a sort of closer question. Um, and the question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Um, so the advice that I would give to my younger self is that I need to put God first um, and really explore what that means. Because there are a lot of uh, colonial, colonial ideas, a lot of white supremacist ideas of what it means to put God first. So put God first um, from an authentic perspective. And then also uh, I need to see a psychologist as soon as possible. Ooh, psychiatrist. I need to see a psychiatrist as soon as possible. (laughs) Run to the psychiatrist that's available to you. (laughs) Oh, I should have done that much earlier. I'm grateful that I've done that now. And also work to have the highest self-esteem possible. Self-esteem is so important, so valuable, so wonderful. So these are the things that I would say to my younger self. In addition to, am I allowed to curse just a little bit? In addition to saying to myself, girl, you a bad bitch. How you ain't know you a bad bitch? Like, (laughs) been a bad bitch for a long time. I didn't realize it but um and you know I mean that phrase is so important to us in black culture but you know so yes so black girl magic yeah so that's what I would say to my younger self uh that is it for this week's episode of the tea with brie be sure to follow us on instagram at the tea with brie send me an email at the tea with brie at gmail.com and visit the website the tea with brie podcast.com don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast a special thanks to mama duke for our theme music and i'll talk to y'all next week bye